This week on Thingamabob. Each bomb held 1,040 bats. So that you don't think twice when you're slicing through someone's spine? No one's going to be like, where where did all these bats come from? (laughs) Stay tuned for more. Baseball bats and gallon cowboy hats and more. Magic rings and other nerdy things in store. Listen on in, it's time for Thingamabob. Better tune in, it's time for Thingamabob. Thingamabob! Hello, Brianna. Well, hello, Josh. Hello, everybody listening. And welcome to Thingamabub. This week's theme is weapons. Now, before we start. <laughs> yes. Um, I wanted to, one, give a quick shout out to everybody who has already left us a review on the Apple Podcast app. Um, it really helps us out. It gets the podcast out to people who may not have heard about it before because the more reviews that you have... Uh, the more Apple Podcasts kind of like promotes your podcast and adds it to like new and upcoming lists and everything. So if you've already written us one, thank you very much. If you haven't yet, please go on over to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and a, a little rating and we would appreciate it very, very much. Thank you. We have two very exciting <laughs> weapons for you guys today. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, those. <laughs> yeah, the weapons. It's going to be fun. We're keeping it light today. It's not like super dramatic. You know, we've been no. having a lot of serious episodes, but even though it's weapons today... Yeah. It should be a fun episode. Somehow, somehow we were able to get like fun, lighthearted weapons. <laughs> I mean, mine isn't a light. I wouldn't say it's a fun, lighthearted weapon. I, yeah, I guess lighthearted is the wrong word. But we we will we're still gonna have fun today. Yeah, it's not as serious as yeah. some like might think of weapons. You know, we're not we're not doing the you know, AK, whatever. <laughs> Nonsense. God. But first, Bree, I want to know your rose of this week. Okay. My rose of the week is very simple. It's that I got my second dose of my vaccination this week. Wow. That is very simple. It is very simple. Very simple. (laughs) Very easy. Yeah. It was like a week ago. um, And I had no uh, side effects the next day besides a sore arm. So I was super lucky. Wow. Yeah. It was nice. That is amazing. Yeah, that was my rose. That was your rose. That's my rose, too. <laughs> wow, vaccine twins. Yes. I don't know whether to expose myself. I'll expose myself. <laughs> I think you should. I'm going to expose myself. I got the Johnson <laughs> Johnson vaccine. One and done, baby. One and done. I know there's a lot of controversy on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. All vaccines are recommended. And mm-hmm. if you understand getting an appointment for a vaccine, you're not picky. Especially <laughs> yes. when you're leaving in two weeks. Yeah. You kind of need to, like take what you can get and so i got myself a johnson and johnson vaccine before i leave new york any vaccine is better than no vaccine that's so correct that's correct i'm hoping i'm one of the 74 (laughs) percent okay sis come on all right (laughs) i'll be protected against those strands yeah but again it was a super easy process as well Mm -hmm. I think, like, I was stressed about it because I was trying to get it. And, like, you have to, like, refresh constantly to, like, mm-hmm. get it on a website. Um, and I finally got that one. And I was like, Johnson & Johnson? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Sign me up. Our entire household is vaccinated Vaccinated now. Yeah, it's true. It's pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting. I mean, we still have a week 
Yes. Yeah. Before we are fully vaccinated. Yeah. But um, yeah. Well, for it to yeah, for it to fully take effect. Right. Fully vaccinated. So <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. What was your thorn? Okay, <laughs> my thorn is uh, wild. So yesterday, um, I decided that I wanted to go on a walk in the rain. It was raining in New York, and I decided this because it was cooler than usual outside, which I liked. And I knew that because it was raining, the park would not have very many people in it. And there's always too many people in the park. Fair point. Yeah. So I was like, oh, now is maybe a good time to go. I probably won't be able to sit on anything because it's going to be wet, but it'll be like empty and nice. So I went to the park. I had my headphones in. I was listening to my little audiobook. I come in. I have not been in the park for more than two seconds when I hear this like muffled thump outside of my because I had my headphones in so I like couldn't quite hear it but I heard this thing like something had fallen or broken or something like that and I looked around I was like what was that and right in front of me on the path was a squirrel like spread eagle on the concrete and I was like oh my god what just happened to that squirrel and I think it had jumped or fallen from like a really high up tree branch like right above the path and I was watching it and it like got up so it wasn't dead oh my god and it like scurried over to another tree and then tried to climb the tree and couldn't because it was concussed brianna <laughs> i like witnessed like a kamikaze squirrel or something it was not that not a kamikaze squirrel <laughs> it, stop that right I, now. I, I i don't know what happened but this squirrel i felt so bad the squirrel like tried to run up the tree and it couldn't and i was so worried about it and I kind of like walked over and looked at the side of the tree. And I was like, are you alive? What is going on? Because I could see it kind of like scamper up and then fall again. And I was like, oh, my God, this this squirrel is dead. What is what happened? Well, did you bring it home to mend his wounds? <laughs> I kind of wish I had. No, um, I watched it and then it got scared of me because I got too close. And so it did end up running like halfway up the tree and then it stayed there. And then I walked a little further away and like looked at some other trees and stuff, had my time in nature. And then when I came back around, it had gone, like, further up the tree and was in, like, a little cranny of the tree. So it was alive. Everything was fine. But I don't think that squirrel is ever going to be the same. <laughs> and I'm worried about it. Wow. And that was my thorn. Nice. That was my thorn. <laughs> I saw a concussed that squirrel. poor squirrel. Yeah, I have, a, I have a weird history with squirrels. Because remember, a squirrel like jumped on my shoulder on a date once. We remember, as if I was there. Well, I told you about it. True. Yeah, you did tell me about it. Yeah, that's why I said, "Do you remember <laughs> when we weren't on a date?" <laughs> I no, I was third wheeling it. I was there too. Brie was nervous. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I was there. I was the squirrel. Oh my! That God. jumped on her shoulder. Anyways, Josh, what was your thorn of the week? Well, in a surprising twist of events, I have two more roses. Oh. One of them is I've been obsessed with watching uh, Tysy. I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's it's T-Y-S-Y, maybe? Uh, Restoration on YouTube. And he does, like, he takes old things and, like, and he restores them. And he does, uh, he, like, I don't know, it's, like, really satisfying to watch because you see, like, consoles and keyboards and other stuff like taken apart <laughs> down stuff. to like the chip yeah mm-hmm. he does other stuff too he like restores like he's like restored like a lighter and a knife and stuff mm-hmm. like that but it's just a different technique the ones that i like are the ones where he takes apart like old like technology things and like cleans it and mm-hmm. like, he can use like 
isopropyl alcohol <laughs> and like he's brushing the uh, chipboard and I don't know how technology works mm-hmm. but that to me seems like it's gonna mess up the like thing like the computer yeah, of it all I would think so but it doesn't and it ends up working more because if it's dirty then it can't like function properly or whatever and then he like sticks the like yellowed you know I watched so many of these but my favorite one was when he did the Nintendo 64 and he sticks the yellowed Nintendo 64 in like a bath of hydrogen peroxide and puts a UV light on top of it and then it's like white again and it's beautiful oh, and it works and it's uh, just really satisfying to watch. Wow. It's like if you like carpet cleaning videos, it's like that, yeah. but like a little more meticulous. I've, I have seen knife cleaning videos before where people will find like antique kitchen knives. It is it is just like that, but yeah. a little more like, you know, let me take apart this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And give you anxiety because I'm taking everything <laughs> apart, but then put it all back together. Yeah. Wow. I've been obsessed with those videos. Uh, um, and then uh, my other rose this week is that I debuted um, an original <laughs> spoken word on <laughs> a cabaret, a live cabaret mm-hmm. on Friday, Saturday. Yeah, it was really stunning. It was a really good performance, if I say so myself. I'm really, I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm a genius writer. <laughs> um, and that was very fun. I had a lot of fun with that. And that yeah. was good with all of the other people performing. So Wow. Amazing. Yeah, no thorns to report today. What a good week. If I couldn't get my vaccine scheduled, then maybe that would have been my thorn. But I did, Ugh, so. But alas, not today. Alas, not today. I figured it out. That's right. <laughs> But speaking of thorns, Brianna, yeah. let's talk about some spiky, <laughs> pokey weapons mm. slash balmy weapons. Great. <laughs> okay, Josh, I'm going to tell you about the bat bomb. The B-A-T bomb. The bat bomb. Is this a fictional no. object? No, this is real. Is um, Batman real? It's uh it is not Batman related as much as it sounds like it should be. Go um, go gadget bat bomb. <laughs> go go gadget bat bomb. <laughs> I mean sort of. Um so this item was actually my my brother suggested for me to do it at like the very beginning of the podcast. I'm pretty sure it was after our espionage episode cuz we talked about the pigeons being cameras. Ah, uh, which makes was, sense for the bat bomb. Yeah, so he was like, you know, another animal thing is <laughs> the bat bomb. You should do it. So months later, I am finally covering the bat bomb. <laughs> That'll be our niche. We'll exclusively from here on out do animal only animal related objects. weaponry. Yeah. <laughs> or objects. Well, yeah. Alex, you better be listening, okay? This is for you, baby girl. He, he will eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll <laughs> We're see. sending it. I'm DMing it to you. I'll tell him. I'll tell him. We did. We finally did your object. Um, all right. So, where are we? It's World War II again. It always is. We've spent a lot of time in World War II. We're going to again with mine. And we're going to again, and we're going to keep doing it. Uh, it was but a major war. <laughs> it was a major war. Um, this time, we're in New Mexico at the Carlsbad Caverns. The date is December 7th, 1941, and Dr. Lytle S. Adams, DDS, is on vacation, spelunking his little heart out and seeing the millions of bats who live in the caverns. He goes home for the night, turns on the radio, and hears a broadcast reporting the attack on Pearl Harbor. He's a patriot, and so, of course, he has to do something to help the United States. (laughs) 
<laughs> retaliate against the Japanese. So he puts his little noggin to work and he starts to see what he can come up with. He goes back to his home state of Pennsylvania and he thinks and he thinks and inspiration strikes. On his travels, he noticed how bats can hide and burrow into small, dark spaces. And he also thought that most of the buildings in Tokyo or Japan in general were constructed of wood instead of concrete. And he decides that he can use this Is information <laughs> for evil. I don't know if it's actually true or not. I think that was a misconception. What I read is that the like majority of people who lived outside of Japan assumed that it was yeah. like traditional wood and paper buildings is what I read. And oh, it's like, they're not made out of paper. Oh my god. But I think I think people assumed it was more wood than like brick and concrete. I have no idea if it's true. It's probably not, but that's no. what Well, we know we because in the bombing episode that we did earlier, mm-hmm. uh, the buildings were leveled and rubble was everywhere and there were buildings left over because of concrete. Yeah. So. so that it was all false, but that's what. He but thought. I love that. I love that American mindset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was. I mean, he. You know, he wasn't a, an architect. He was a dentist. So <laughs> that's <laughs> he right. He doesn't DDS, know. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so about a month later, after December seventh, it's January twelfth, nineteen forty-two, and he sent his plan to the White House. He knew Eleanor Roosevelt somehow, so he like had an in. It re- that really goes to show that it's who you know. <laughs> It's not what do you do, it's who you know. He was like, this will get her. Yeah. <laughs> Take this straight to Theodore. She was like, all right, fine, I'll give it to my husband. Yes. <laughs> and she did. She said, bats, say no more. Yep. Um. So, like a true comic book villain, he proposed that the U.S. strap tiny bombs to millions of bats, <laughs> drop them over Japan, and wait for them to burrow into all the small nooks and crannies across the city, then set off the bombs to destroy the towns from within. He said, think of thousands of fires breaking out simultaneously over a circle of 40 miles in diameter for every bomb dropped. Japan could have been devastated, yet with small loss of life. This is his plan. Where Uh, was PETA? (laughs) Where was who? PETA. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, They were nowhere in sight. And uh, the way that I'll tell you about how they attached these bombs later, because spoiler alert, this plan goes into practice. No. (laughs) Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. PETA PETA doesn't exist yet. And maybe uh, this is what uh, forces their existence. I don't know. Could you imagine? Because... Speaking of the bats, Adams also claimed that the bat was the lowest form of animal life. And that (laughs) (laughs) until now, reasons for its creation have remained unexplained. He elaborated that bats were created by God to await this hour to play their part in the scheme of free human existence and to frustrate any attempt of those who dare desecrate our way of life. So one, he was a vampire fan. Yeah, bats are the lowest form of existence. Yeah. But two, God put them there for this exact reason. Is his and and you belief. were you were just waiting for you to discover it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He, was, he uh-huh. said, "I am the chosen one, and I've figured out how to save the United States." Was he right? We don't know yet. <laughs> he could have been. Yet. Stay tuned. <laughs> we don't know how World War II <laughs> ended. <laughs> it uh, was with a bomb. Anyway. It was with a bomb. But he said all this, and the U.S. was like, all right, say less. We get it. Like, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> Not we're, we're in. We're doing it. So Theodore himself? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me that because he gave it to Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt gave it to whatever military leaders were there at the mm-hmm. time, and also Theodore Roosevelt, and they signed off. Mm-hmm. 
they were like, yeah, we're going to start testing this. You don't you don't seem so crazy. In fact, there was <laughs> on live bats. There was a presidential memorandum where it stated this man is not a nut. It sounds like a perfectly wild idea, but is worth looking into. They were desperate. So they started testing. They, they were start- Joey desperate. <laughs> started testing this idea. Um, they decided to use the Mexican freetail bat because of the sheer number of them. I guess it's like the most populous species of bat. Um, and they were in New Mexico. They were in New Mexico. So again, so naturally, you know, American representation. <laughs> State of your roots. Yeah. Um, freetails weigh about nine grams each. They're really tiny. and they You leave carry, them alone. Uh, they don't. They can uh. carry a weight of more than twice their own. Uh, Dr. Adams brought some to D.C. to demonstrate them carrying mock bombs. The government loved his little show. And so in March of 1943, the project was a go and was dubbed Project X-Ray. It was assigned to the U.S. Army, who proceeded to capture thousands of bats from Southwest Caves. They did it with nets. Um, And tiny little bombs then had to be designed for them to carry, because at this point, the smallest incendiary bomb at the time weighed two pounds. So it was a lot bigger than the weight of a Mexican free-tailed bat, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, So the Army brought in Louis Pfizer. Shout out. It's spelled differently. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. oh, he was innovating before, Way his, before time. his time. Um, so he was a Harvard chemist, and they had him work on creating a bomb that weighed just half an ounce but had the power to burn down a house. Uh, Pfizer had developed a chemical called napalm, um, a Me liquid too. jelly gasoline that would burn uncontrollably once ignited. This substance, paired with a celluloid capsule also developed by Pfizer, would make up the bat bombs and would have a time delay fuse so the bombs would go off when planned. These bombs would then be surgically clipped to the chest of the bat. Nice. So, they don't, uh, they're not too concerned with animal welfare. I mean, the I bats think. are gonna blow up. Exactly. So why, exactly. why care? Pretty much, yeah. Um, but the next issue was how to transport all of these bats to Japan. Right. So the best method was to fly them over. So the U.S. government developed little tiny passports for the bats to hold on to while they were flying. <laughs> Josh is rolling his eyes. I thought that was funny. <laughs> no, that was a joke. It was a joke. Did you really think that I meant it when they, I said they developed tiny passports for bats? No. Okay, good. <laughs> Anyways, really what they came up with was forcing the bats into hibernation while they were being transported. So they did this by placing the bats in ice cube trays and cooling their body temperature down. Dr. Adams then developed an accordion-like folding platform that would fit inside of a five-foot bomb-shaped canister. When the bomb was dropped at 5,000 feet, the shell of the canister would fall away and the accordion platforms inside would drop. There were 26 trays inside of the accordion, and each tray would hold 40 bats. Oh, my God! (laughs) So each bomb held 1,040 bats. (laughs) Uh, 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 (laughs) I'd just like to remind everyone that this is real. (laughs) This is a real thing. It literally isn't. You're making all this up. No, I'm not. (laughs) So, Okay. The bats, <laughs> the bats would fall out of their trays onto a platform below when the accordion like released. I'm sorry, keep going. Okay. I can't keep it together. <laughs> because 
The speed of the dropped bomb was controlled. With both a motor and a parachute, the bats had enough time to wake up from hibernation before flying off to roost in houses, office buildings, shops, and more across the city. When the bats flew away, <laughs> what? <laughs> Do, no one's going to be like, where, where did all these bats come from? <laughs> I mean, they might be, but I'll tell you why they didn't have a lot of time to think about it. Because when the bats flew away, they pulled a thin wire that would activate the time delay fuse on the bomb, which was set to ignite after 30 minutes. Oh. So they might have seen it and been like, where did all these bats come from? So this was humane. No, it wasn't. Because the bats would fly away. No, they're connected to the bombs. They have, it's like the, there's like a cord on the platform and they pull the cord, but the bomb is attached to them. The only thing it pulls, it's like a grenade where you like pull the pin out. I'm sorry, this scenario is hard to follow because it's just so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So it's like the the cords on the platform are connected to the bomb. It's like a grenade where you pull out the cord. The bat flies away, bomb in tow. Yes, yes. Currently on time. Yes. yes, The bomb goes off 30 minutes later. Okay, okay. Because that's the the time it's set I see, now I see. So that's the plan. (laughs) But. The plan. (laughs) In a few separate trials... Uh, bats just dropped to the ground without ever waking up. They didn't get the timing right for hibernation. Uh, sometimes cooling the bats to put them into hibernation actually killed them, so they lost bats along the way. And at one point, some of the loaded bats in a test run were accidentally released, setting fire to a military hangar and a general's car. Oh, so they, they had God. a lot of problems, but they were like trying to figure out. They sunk a lot of money into it. Um, Worth it. (laughs) In December of 1943, the bat bomb was tested again against a replica Japanese city and performed exactly how it was meant to. The bomb was planned to be put into use the next year. But on February 16th, 1944, the project was canceled. Why? uh, We're not really sure. Um, At the time, they didn't know. Now we can look back and it seems like they were redirecting all resources and funds into the atomic bomb. Yes. Yeah. They were. So in total, they spent $2 million, which in 2019 (laughs) equaled $29 million. (laughs) (laughs) America is so stupid. Yep. Uh, They presented 30 different demonstrations and in the end were shut down before going into practical use. But... It did exist, and it was almost in use. Um, They were set to start, like, uh, what do you call it, manufacturing, and then it was suddenly canceled because the atomic bomb was close to being finished and had greater destructive power, they thought, so. (laughs) They were right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in theory, if you send, you know, several thousand bats to a Japanese village strapped with bombs, then you are doing a lot of damage, so true. Who knows? But as as far as life goes, that was Dr. Adams' whole point is that they could do like a lot of destruction with fewer loss of life. Because if you think about it, like fair, we know how many people died from the atomic bomb. So yes. if you compare it, more people probably would have lived with the bat bomb. But you still would have had destruction. I don't. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. What happened um, to our dentist friend? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> Where are sure. they now? I'm not sure. Oh, he did. I I read something about how he like 
continued to go on inventing things, but they were equally as like odd. <laughs> I just looked it up. Uh, what Dr. Adams did after the bat bomb is uh, he went on to try and advocate for bombing the prairies with seed packets. So another bomb, very different purpose. <laughs> I think seed packets are, I don't know if it was for like wildflowers or to promote crop growth or something, but that was his next idea. And then uh, after that, he tried to get people interested in a fried chicken vending machine. <laughs> that was his, oh, next, his next plan of action. Um, and that is all I know of <laughs> I mean, what came of... I can get behind some of that. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I'd, I'd be worried about, uh, you know, salmonella or something. From... The seeds. From the seeds. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'd, be, I'd be really concerned about that. Me too. Yeah. But anyways, that's all I know about uh, Dr. Adams. And that was the bat bomb. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a ride. It really was. Journey. I don't know how my brother knew about this, like where he had heard about it. That's the real question right. we should be asking. Yeah. Alex, where did you hear about this to begin with? Send us an email. <laughs> send us an email. He'll just text me. <laughs> nope. Send us an email at thingamabobpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. All right, after that ridiculous information, <laughs> let's get serious. Ooh, okay. I'm here to talk about the Honjo Masamune, Ooh. which is widely regarded as the greatest samurai sword of all time. Uh, tell me why. I will tell you why. <laughs> I will tell you where it is, because it's also missing. <gasps> what? Yeah. Oh, the intrigue. And then I will also tell you who created such a sword and what makes it and other Masamune swords so legendary. I don't know. I'm excited. (laughs) Yes! Uh, Okay. So, during the end of the 12th and early 13th century Japan, it was... They were constantly living under the threat of Mongolian invasion, Mm, which we love to see. They, at the end of the 12th century, they were invaded once, but luckily they were uh, protected by a storm, which they called like a divine storm that saved them from invasion uh, because they had to travel over by boat because we know Japan's an island. (laughs) Um, And then the next war that they did, uh, they came back to fight them. But they were thwarted by the Japanese military at the time, which was called the Samurai. Oh. oh. <laughs> yes. If it wasn't for the Samurai, Japan would probably look a little different. Let's, let's be real. I mean, they were protecting them or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the Samurai would ride on horseback into battle or on foot. And they would carry these iconic curved blades made of steel to slice through their enemies with aerodynamics. Wow, I didn't realize the samurai sword was curved. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, fun fact. It's curved. Fun fact for me. We'll talk a little later how something kind of made it more curved. It's kind of like changed over time a little bit. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the entire history. I'm obviously just talking about one sword in particular. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll dive a little bit into that. Before that though, uh, we have to talk about samurai training. They would go through a lot of training uh, to properly use the sword and this training was called Kenjutsu. Uh, and today, we uh, they continue having this training, but they call it kendo. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever seen, like, kendo classes held here. I don't think so, no. It's basically just, like, traditional samurai sword training, but mm-hmm. they use wooden swords, and they wear, like, a specific uniform. That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool to keep the art of it alive, because mm-hmm. that's really what it's about now. They don't use that for the Japanese military today. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
This training actually includes how to unsheath your sword. It's very flowery. How to unsheath your sword, kill using quick movements, and also using Zen Buddhism, which is a form of meditation that you do while you're using the sword、mm. so that you don't think twice when you're slicing through someone's spine. <laughs> you can do it without regret. Thank you for that phrasing. You're welcome. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>、um, the act of being able to slice through and kill someone in one slice is called nukiuchi. And then at the end, they do this like flourish where they wave the blade around and then sheath it back. And what that, like, at first I was like, Oh, that's just something they do to like look all fancy or whatever, but it's actually to get all the blood off <laughs> so that when you resheath it, it、uh, doesn't get rusty. Yeah. Isn't、like、that crazy? Shaking off an umbrella. It's exactly <laughs> like shaking off an umbrella. <laughs> yes. Good. In order for these blades to be very effective, they had to be made by master swordsmiths. And one of these particular master swordsmiths at the time was Goro Masamune. <gasps> I've heard of him. We love yeah, You did just now. <laughs> just now. <laughs> just, just now. Also, they had to adapt the curved nature of the blade, like we talked about earlier, because the, originally before this, the blade was unevenly curved and they wanted to make it more curved,、uh, which I'll talk a little bit about why later. Interesting, when they would make the swords in this time, they, I'm just throwing this fun fact, they would test them on prisoners. Oh, God. To see if they would cleanly just like cut through the bone. Jeez. Yeah. Okay,、oh. so during this time in the 12th century, when they were forging swords, the process left a lot of impurities in the steel. They didn't have perfect metal at this time,、uh, it just wasn't available. And also, I, we don't have necessarily the technology that we have nowadays.、Um, so they had to make what's due with their typical forges and then. Um, and what made Masamune such a great smither was his ability to use these im- like, imperfections to his advantage.、Oh. And he was able to create like, a very strong metal by refolding it over and over and over、mm-hmm. to a thick like, steel. Also, what made Masamune's sword so important was that they could pierce Mongol armor. So that was really important because they were worried about Mongol invasion. They had stuff like that. So, the samurai、mm-hmm. at the time, they needed, they had this really, the Mongolians had very thick leather armor、mm-hmm. and it was giving them trouble.、Mm-hmm. So, that is exactly what Masamune and then other apprentices and other people in the、yeah. district's swords could do was cut through the leather armor and through the bodies really easily. <laughs> Problem solvers. Problem solvers. <laughs> yeah, they said, oh, okay, we cut. <laughs> Also,、um, at this time, it was difficult to get a sturdy sword that was sharp enough because what they did was they're using Masamune would use soft and hard metals,、mm-hmm. and they would make the like, sharp end of the blade out of this very hard, tough metal so it wouldn't like, chip as easily when、mm-hmm. it hit someone. And they would then make the like, spine of the blade slash like, the back of the blade. Because as we know, some swords are too double sided or whatever.、Mm-hmm. All samurai swords, just for clarity, are only one sided, is、mm-hmm. the sharp side.、Uh, and so then the other side of the blade would be made out of the soft material so it could absorb the impact. Because、oh. if it's all made out of that like, very thin, hard material, it could shatter. Oh. Yeah, interesting. Wow, that is interesting. Yes. It, it, it certainly <laughs> is, isn't it? Yeah.、Uh, so he would blend the hard and the soft to be able to make a like, very sharp but very durable sword. In the process of combining these materials, it would, the materials actually bind and cool at different temperatures. So, what that would do is create what's called h a m a n 
And that is, and you'll see, you can see a picture on the Instagram. It is like a flowing wavy pattern on the sharp edge of the blade because that's what, like, the process of combining these things and pressing them together creates that. Nowadays, what a lot of people will do, because there are still swordsmiths today, it was banned for a little bit in Japan, fun fact, obviously, which I'll explain later why, and you'll be like, duh, it was banned. <laughs> um, anyway, but they will uh, paint on Haman to like mm. do it, because now we have better metals, we have better, um, yeah. uh, swordsmithing is easier mm -hmm. uh, because we have technology and like automatic um, sharpeners and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, mm -hmm. but then it was like an art because the Haman was just created out of nowhere and it people would judge the blade off of like what this Haman looked like mm, and like wow. its value. Wow. Yeah. Wait, isn't, isn't <laughs> just in case, isn't Mulan's sword like super wavy on the edge? Or the one the one that she steals from uh, the the Hun? Is that called a wind cleaver? I don't know. It could be a totally different sword. I'm just now remembering that it was like very wavy but i think it was on both sides oh yeah no <laughs> that's fine i didn't think so i just that's so funny <laughs> that wavy pattern is what it looks like but it's on a straight blade okay which you'll everyone will see a picture yeah <laughs> so masamune's technique and his superior craftsmanship <laughs> led emperor fushimi who was the emperor during that time uh to make him chief swordsmith uh, there was a district that a lot of swordsmiths were, and uh, they made the swords for the samurai of Japan, of all of Japan at that time, and uh, he was made chief of that. Masamune would make swords, or tachi, as it's called, um, knives, which were also called tanto, or daggers, uh, all to aid in battle for samurais. Um, some of the swords would later be made into katana, which are shorter swords so they would take the tachi and they would cut off um the end of it and make it more sharp or whatever and that would be a katana because mm. the tachi swords were very long if you can like picture a long samurai sword <laughs> sure. whereas katana katana are like more what you see nowadays in terms in, of like, samurai people's swords. collections in people's collections yeah because mm. the only this is jumping ahead a little bit but the only remaining uh masamune are katana because they took all of the tachi and cut them down there's no, oh. I read there's no Tachi remaining. Do you, was there a reason for that that you know of? Yeah, because they took all of them and cut them down R to Katana. Right, right, right. But why did they take all of them? That's what I meant. I, I didn't mean take. I mean, they made them all. They took all the swords literally physically and cut them down. Right. But why? <laughs> I don't. Oh, because, <laughs> because Katana were more effective um, on foot. Okay. Okay. And, and actually also on swords because they were lighter. They were... Yeah, it was just, it was lighter, it was more, it was quicker, it was more effective. Okay. That's why Katana I see. were popular. There wasn't some, like, weird, nefarious thing happening. It was just no. because they worked better? Yeah, they, okay. it, no, nothing was, <laughs> they weren't, it. like, destroying his swords or anything. Got it. They were just making them Katana because Katana at, because Masamune swords last for generations. Mm -hmm. Um, There are sword, mm -hmm. there were sword periods that mm -hmm. existed in Japan. I think there are, like, five of them mm -hmm. in which they loop in a series of centuries or a couple like years. A if it. Kind of. Okay. Um, but that's like the China version. So what I think Katana came a little later. And so they would just make these because they were such good swords mm -hmm. into Katana. I see. Okay. Also, another reason Masamune is so well known today 
is that the record kept of him um, during the time was there was a catalog of the best swords of when he was alive. Mm -hmm. And he is by far the most mentioned out of any of the swordsmiths at the time in this catalog. Yeah. (laughs) But there would be one sword in particular said to be so expertly made, its layers would go down to a point one atom thick. (laughs) God. <laughs> you know the the legends. The yeah, legends. same. <laughs> and this sword was the Honjo Masamune. It is regarded as one of Japan's national treasures. Wow. The Honjo Masamune would gain its name uh, from General Honjo Shigenaga uh, during the period of much civil war throughout the Gengoku period. So right after Masamune's death. Japan went into a lot of civil war for like centuries or at least a couple of centuries, maybe just one century. Um, <laughs> a long so, time. <laughs> a long time. Um, and during that, uh, there was a battle that lasted, or there were like five battles. On the fourth battle of Kawanakajima in 1561, two groups fought for control of a plain between two rivers. And uh, they were two families. And they had both had people who fought for this uh, or whatever. So Honjo Shigenaga, he was battling a general of the opposite side of similar rank, and that general sliced Honjo's helmet in two, which was very theatrical, very <laughs> like, course. I can't believe you cut through my helmet, and also in two! Oh my god. <laughs> Somehow Honjo survived all of this and ended up killing the other general, but he... A uh, typical Japanese tradition at the time was that when you do that, you take the sword of the other person uh-huh. as kind of like a badge of honor, uh-huh. and that sword was a Masamune. <gasps> so he claimed that sword and then named it after himself. So that's why it's called the Honjo Masamune. Oh my god. Isn't that crazy? You picture, like what's regarded as the greatest samurai sword of all time mm-hmm. as like being this thing that was only held by Masamune right. and all of this stuff. But it was literally randomly gotten from a- another person. Oh my God. In That's a random like... battle. And that person doesn't even have a name. So the sword, the way that this keeps going as the sword was passed down mm-hmm. for many generations after that, because this was 1561 this battle and it is now 2021 <laughs> so obviously time has to go by uh-huh. naturally not me trying to explain time <laughs> um <laughs> so the service passed down for many generations and it was given to shogun after shogun shogun are the military dictators of japan so families would rule japan after the civil war was over for many generations and they uh the emperors or whoever, like, m- patriarch of the family would elect shogun either from their family or from another family if they trusted them. And they would be the military leaders of mm. Japan. Okay. Because this sword was so revered, they would pass it down and it would be tradition for the shogun to get it. Eventually, after many years, uh, in 1600, the Tokugawa family ended up ruling over Japan and was in possession of the Honjo Masamune, which became symbolic of the turbulent history because of all the civil war that had Mm -hmm. just occurred. And it was gained on the battlefield of a civil war in Japan. (laughs) Um, (laughs) However, centuries later, in 1939, we're jumping way ahead because it was in their possession for literally that long. Same family. It's World War II. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) 
We're back. Our favorite place. We can't stay away from World War II. Uh, when Japan lost, they had to turn over all of their samurai swords to the United States. That is very specific. Because, you want to know why? Because not only uh, was samurai sword a literal weapon, but because it was a symbol of the Japanese military. Mm. So they made them turn it over as like a... You know, mm-hmm. adding insult to injury. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> kind of. Uh, <laughs> knowing the U.S., probably. <laughs> um, so, to set an example, the Tokugawa family turned over 13, 14 of the prized Masamune swords, including the Honjo Masamune. Wow. To the United States, the greatest samurai sword in existence, well, widely regarded, is given to the United States. Do we know where it is now? I'm getting there. <laughs> it's continuing, baby. <laughs> so what would the U.S. do with these swords, you know? Tell me. <laughs> Some were melted down oh. to be used for other metals. Mm-hmm. So the Honjo Masamune could have easily been melted down into... It's a hubcap now. Yeah. <laughs> Frank, man, he's loving his Masamune hubcap. Um, or... It could still be out there. Get into this, sis. The sword is said to be handed over to Coldy Beemore. Which, Coldy Beemore. Beemore, chill. Stop. Come on, Coldy Beemore. Like, I'm like... Coldy Beemore. Beemore cold. Like, what are you trying to get out of here? Okay. But there's actually no record of his name in existence. So, this leads it to be... And I'm like, I'm like one of the fanboys here who's like, it's still out there. <laughs> the sword could still be in possession of the Tokugawa family, hidden, never given to this fake name. Mm-hmm. It could be that uh, translation issues. <laughs> yeah, seems likely. <laughs> Which is the dumb answer. <laughs> um, I like to imagine that the family pretended to hand it over, but didn't yeah. really hand it over. But we know that Japan. Uh, locked up a few of their samurai swords Mm. uh, and didn't give it to the United States to protect them because they knew how precious they were Mm -hmm. and they knew what the United States was going to do with them. Well, yeah. And they knew because one of the generals had to go to one of the generals of the U.S. and be like, we understand you're taking these swords, but actually these are really important tradition for us. Mm -hmm. And some of these go centuries back. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, the United States stopped melting down samurai swords. So it could have survived that. Mm -hmm. It could still be in existence. One of the um, uh, U.S. military members, because I also read that a lot of generals were like, take these home, guys. Like, you know, the, the people who served. Yeah. And so one of the people who took it home gave it to uh, President Truman. And then uh, Truman put it in the Truman Museum mm-hmm. in the United States. And that is the only remaining Masamune sword in the United States is at the Truman Museum. Wow. And you know what happened to that sword? <laughs> what? It was stolen. <gasps> so th- it's nowhere to be found. Wow. Okay. There's a lot of drama going on with these Masamune swords. They're elusive. Yeah, this is just it's funny because Josh, <laughs> Josh and I had talked about doing like a st- like a famous stolen items 
episode at some point. yeah. And you asked me, like, what? Like this! Like this? (laughs) Like this! (laughs) Well, it's funny because we don't know if it was the Honja Masamune. I know, that's true, that's true. But it's just, like, all all signs point to, like, ooh, this could be this, could be this, could be this. You know what I thought, too, with that weird name? Yes. What if it's, like, an anagram? So they did pass it over to somebody, but that person didn't want to be known, so they switched the letters of their name around. It could be. It's an anagram. It's my theory. I love that theory. Thanks. <laughs> I, I love that theory. Um, so we know that there are Masamune that still exist today. Mm-hmm. The Kyoto National Museum holds some Masamune swords that were donated by some of the families that hid them during the time that they had to give them over to the U.S., uh, including the Shimazu Masamune, which was just discovered in 2014. Oh, wow. Super recently, it was hidden by a family, and the family was like, yeah, we've been holding this. Here it is. It's time. <laughs> it's time. It was not the Honjo yeah. Masamune. The year it was is the Shimatsu. Fourteen. <laughs> it's time. No, yeah, it was uh, actually. <laughs> Other Masamune are known to be in, like I said, possession of families, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Truman one, which could be anywhere. <laughs> Who, if you're listening to this podcast and you hold the Truman Masamune, send us an email. <laughs> send us an email. <laughs> Uh, so the Honja Masamune remains a mystery to wow. this day, but people are still people are still holding on to it. The Japanese uh, legendary swordsmith Masamune lives on, though, and the only reason I'm, I mean his his legacy, oh. Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> See it for my face was like what? He's still alive. <laughs> he was born in 1100. <laughs> you know he's got powers. The fountain of youth. Well, those swords were divine. Oh my god. So yeah. Okay, his legacy lives on. His legacy because I the only reason I like know about Masamune is because of Final Fantasy. I'm a gamer. <laughs> um, it is particularly in Final Fantasy VII. It is the main bad guy Severoth. It's his uh weapon and it's a it's a law it's a iconically long samurai Mm. sword and it is titled the masamune um also the masamune is in every final fantasy (laughs) (laughs) as well uh and that's why i chose to do this object and that's where i'm ending for some reason (laughs) great great that was wow the intrigue yeah very very interesting it's a legend and what makes it interesting too is that the the legend aspect of it all is because of the missing swords Mm -hmm. the fact that he was so long ago the fact that like no one knows if the honjo masamune is really the greatest Japanese samurai sword no, of all time. It is, it is. But it's it's like the mystery, <laughs> the myth around it that mm-hmm. makes it like so powerful or whatever. So that's why it's fun. Wow. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening. If you have any theme suggestions for us, send them over to thingamabobpodcast at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Instagram at thingamabobpodcast or on Twitter at thingamabobpod. While you're there, give us a follow and please subscribe to our show on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Please leave us a review. It really helps us show up on the iTunes charts and new and recommended pages. Make sure to join us next week in a new segment where I rate Josh's childhood awards from most deserved to most sad. Wow. Um, all right. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> because now we are all two things smarter. Bye.